feedback and the effect and the impact these ideas have had on people's marriages. And again, as you move along, if anything is not clear, you need an example, you want, uh, to, again, if you disagree, I, I, I'd love to hear if anything doesn't make sense. So, we'll begin with the following. There are two major friction points in any marriage. And the truth is, you're gonna, be, you're gonna see that a lot of what we're discussing, you know, relationships are foundational, meaning that what we do in our marriage is very similar to what we do with our children, what we do at work, and so on. So there's a lot of overlap. We'll obviously stay within the realm of marriage, but we'll also maybe incorporate some examples from chinuch, from parenting, from other relationships, so you can see this template and how it applies. Okay? So, the two major friction points in any marriage are as follows. When it comes to criticizing our spouse, in the unlikely event your spouse does something that you don't like. One person is nodding their head vigorously. <laughs> What's that? It's on the unlikely part. Oh, that's the, at the unlikely part, yeah. I had a friend, by the way, he was like, I don't know, he, he used to wink with the wrong eye. So like he'd be like, you know, if you want to have it. Wasn't the brightest fellow on the planet. <laughs> still remember his name. I'm obviously not going to say it, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, so the two biggest friction points in any marriage are one, when you have to give criticism, particularly to somebody, to your spouse, who cannot hear it. Now, if you have the kind of spouse where you could say, Aisha Kyle, you know, when you stop doing that, and she says, oh, okay, fine, no problem, then, you know, feel free to have a snack and, and leave. <laughs> However, most of us at one time or another, Right? Sometimes we may be a little bit more sensitive to criticism or critique, to chacha, rebuke, whatever it is. And we want to be able to couch it in a way that our spouse can hear. The second foundational sort of friction point is when your spouse uh, comes to you with an issue, with a complaint, with a taina, something that is on their mind, and you don't want to do what they want, <laughs> right? You don't necessarily agree. Now, how do you end that conversation and still keep the relationship not just intact, but blossoming, flourishing? We, and what I want to share with you is how we can do both of these things. And just imagine for a second what your marriage would look like if you could tell your spouse anything that was bothering you and express how you felt, and they would hear it, accept it, and appreciate your telling them, wow. And two is... Whenever your spouse came to you with something that was on their mind and you thought that they're just meshuggah, crazy, makes no sense, or whatever it is you don't want to do it, they will leave the conversation loving and appreciating you more. Were the objectives? Yeah. Yes. Okay, great. Just pay attention because it's going to be in the final, so you want to take that. Okay? So, first things first. When it comes to criticism, the biggest mistake we make in marriage, and this is true by the way when it comes to our children, when it comes to extended family members, remember it is. When you've got to criticize the person who can't hear criticism, is we actually criticize the person. Meaning, there are some people who, you know, you could say, pass the soul to, and they hear, why are you screaming at me? And it's like, aha, uh -huh. right? Sometimes, you know, you've got kids who are very, very sensitive. You say, hey, take out the garbage, why are you yelling at me? It's like, wow, where'd that come from? Right? Or you ask your spouse something and they're not getting upset because of what it is you're saying. They're getting upset because of how they're being triggered. So, here is the protocol. And first off, again, 
You don't have to do this all of the time, but if this is the mainstay, and then when it comes to those times when you actually you know, lose yourself or you speak maybe without thinking and you do give a critique, at least it will be within the context of, the, the, of these exchanges. So here is what we do. Rather than criticize, which is the mistake, what you want to do is, you know, let's take a step back. What happens when you criticize your spouse? Let's just, I want to take an example from, from kids. Sometimes it's easier to see them. We're going to use adults, right? Let's say little Chaim walks by the cookie jar, takes a cookie, and is chomping away. And you go over to little Chaim and say, little Chaim, have you been eating cookies? With crumbs from his face, he goes, no, no cookies. Right? Now, that's the time that we typically give a Musa Shmooz. We tell little Chaim, what are you doing? Don't you know the importance of being honest to mommy or daddy? Don't you know the importance of this? So for 15, 20 minutes, we're sitting there giving him a schmooze and, and charging that with such negativity, and three things are happening, neither of them good. Number one, Chaim is upset with mommy, doesn't like mommy, doesn't like daddy, angry. Two is he's angry with himself. Three is the most injurious. He's coming up with all the reason, reason, rationale, justification for why it made sense to do what he did. He's justifying it to himself. Go back now to our relationships. When we're doing something and our spouse criticizes us, if we're doing something that upsets them, we feel bad. We're people of conscience. We feel bad that our wife or husband is upset with us. It's only natural now we're going to get defensive. And say, what are you talking about? I didn't do this and blah, blah, blah. And now you're off into argument. Rather, when our spouse gets it right, and we're going to walk through what that looks like, that's the time to acknowledge their efforts. So, for example, classic of men taking out the garbage, which apparently is a time-bound commandment, which is why we can't do it. <laughs> What happens? Guys, we've been there. Your wife says, you know, and again, we're stereotyping here, but hey, why not? Um, take out the garbage, and you, you can't because you're on your way to Mincha, and you've got to wash your hands again, this and that, and this and that, or it's a mess, and you just, it's not on your radar. So she says, how come you don't take out the garbage? How hard is it to just take out the garbage, right? What you're thinking is if it's so easy, okay. So how hard is it to take out the garbage? Go ahead and talk, yeah. And you're like, look, you, you're upset with your wife, you're upset with yourself because if it's something you should be doing, then you should be doing it, and you feel a little guilty, maybe ashamed. And third is, you're justifying why it makes sense that you're not taking out the garbage. You're literally digging your heels in deeper to yourself and to her. You're explaining why you're not doing what she wants you to do. You can see how we end up reinforcing the behavior. So, better now, when she, excuse me, when your husband, well, that perspective, takes out the garbage. That's the time to say, by the way, I really appreciate, and not in a, wow, look who finally took out the garbage. Not like that. But a genuine, honest, by the way, I really appreciate, you know what, you took out the garbage. I, that, you know what, I know it's a big, you're thinking, oh, okay, yeah, great, yeah, great, amazing. Three very powerful things are happening here. One is you're loving your spouse. Two is you're loving yourself. Three is, most valuable, is you're giving your spouse a self-concept to live up to, an image of how they see themselves. And make no mistake, people act congruently, consistently, 
It's funny, I'm, I'm used to speaking in, in various communities, and I translate to English, by the way, to understandable English. Um, but I guess I, you seem like a pretty savvy crab. I guess I don't need to do that here. Because um, people always tell me, I, I give a talk and I say, I liked it, but you know, can you give it in English next time? Like, that was English, okay. So if you catch me translating English, you know, just stop me, please. Our code word will be stop. Okay. Um, so you're giving the person a self-concept, and we act congruently with that self-concept. I want to show you just how easy it is to shape someone's self-concept, lest we think that we're immune. Imagine uh, one Arab Shabbos, somebody comes to your house. <laughs> they knock on the door. is real wood. That's why. Go figure. <laughs> It's a vote of Zara, and you knock on wood, eh? Like something. They knock on the door, and you open up, and for whatever reason, your house is just happens not to be flying at this point. You know, for whatever reason, you know, the kids are where they're supposed to be. You know, the cleaning lady's doing her thing, everything, or whatever. And the person remarks and say, you know what? I gotta tell you, it is so amazing that how just calm and relaxed you are, Arab Shabbos. I gotta tell you. That is really extraordinary that you just, Arab Shabbos, things are so calm and you're so patient. It's just, wow, that's, that's, that's so special. Do you think next Shabbos, Arab Shabbos, there's a knock at the door, this, you open it up and it's the same person there. Do you think you have an easy time screaming at your kids? You have an easy time, you're like, hey, when did he stop? Oh, blah, blah. No, she sees you a certain way. And now you are driven to act consistently with that. It's amazing. When you give somebody a self-concept to live up to, it changes. Go back to Lil Chaim. When you tell Lil Chaim when he gets it right, by the way, I am so proud of you, the importance of being honest, that Emmis is so good, and the boy Shekhar is so bad, and you're honest with mommy. Again, he's loving you, loving himself, but rather than justify all the things and all the reasons why it makes sense to do what he did, you're now giving him a self-concept of somebody who is Ehrlich, somebody who is honest, somebody who acts with integrity and authenticity. Good night. <laughs> and most importantly, never, ever, ever walk out of a speech when the speak... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, okay. I didn't like the pattern. Yeah, that's good. I don't think she's happy, but okay, let's okay. okay, so what we do with Lachayim is we're giving him a self-concept of how to love to. He is somebody who's honest. Somebody, the next time there's a cookie, yeah, now again, now we're going to give little Chaim that praise. It could be Yom Kippur. He could be Fleshek. It doesn't make a difference. If he's walking by the cookie jar and he doesn't eat the cookie, that's when you're celebrating the fact that he doesn't take things and he's being honest. Now he has a self-concept of somebody who acts with integrity, authenticity, uh, uh, honesty, whatever media, whatever character trait you want to bring out, that's what you're going to exemplify and call his attention to. He's going to have a hard time acting in a way that's inconsistent now with his image. Now, it's not going to cure everything overnight, but it is almost near magic about how it works with us. Because again, we want to make our spouse happy. We want to give to our spouse. We don't want to, to let them down. So when we get praise for something and acknowledgement for something that we're doing right, we are driven to do it more. And think for a second. Gentlemen, are you more inclined to take out the garbage? Again, speaking metaphorically, but I guess also literally. 
When your wife says, by the way, I really appreciate that you took out the garbage, this and that, I know I gave you a hard time about it, but I just wanted to tell you, I really did. The next time you walk by the garbage, you're like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, she really liked that. Rather than not doing it and getting beaten up for it. I want to share with you a fascinating story that somebody told me. I was speaking at a Shabbaton. It's called Kirtuni, if anyone's heard of it. It's pretty much like a thousand Hasidim and me. That's what's it. Twice a year it is, and those guys know how to party, by the way. It was... I, there's a reason, uh, uh, whatever. It's like, it's like four in the morning, man. they're going strong. Anyway, so what happens? So I, I actually, in speaking about, I think, Shalom Bias, um, and this gentleman comes over to me afterwards and says, listen to this story. <clears throat> I've been married, I've been married now for about 25 years. For the first 10 years of my marriage or so, my wife never made the bed. He said, it was, she's a, a good, you know, a good lady. She takes care of this. Never made the bed. Yeah? Ah, ah. You, you disapprove. Yeah. And anyway, okay. Yeah. Everyone's got their stuff. Yeah. So he goes, I would keep asking her. She never made it. This and this and that. So. Um, the problem is when she makes it when you're in it. <laughs> <laughs> You got me there. <laughs> yes, that, 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 would, that would be a problem. <laughs> what kind of insurance do you have? Not enough. Not enough, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, I would agree. That, uh, so I'm thinking of like all, all the things and, and, and I'm just sifting through the, the responses and I, I don't have any appropriate. So <laughs> uh, this rare moment, I'm going to let it pass, but... And you're from Venice Beach, yeah? Where? Venice Beach? Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> I'm not psychic. You told me that. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> you had breakfast this morning. Am I correct? I did have breakfast. My powers, they know no limit. Okay. Um, ah, so this guy comes over to me. And he says, I've been married 25 years. First time we married, 10 years of marriage, has been giving his wife a hard time. And, you know, she'd never make the beds. Now, what I wanted to tell him, but I didn't, is... How much effort, if it's that important to you, does it take for you just to take the comforter? And by the way, I'm assuming this is the motion. I see the cleaning lady. I, I don't even know. I think it's this. That, right? It's, okay. But I didn't say that. And uh, he said, listen to this. So whatever reason, after there was a point they had somebody over. I don't know who it was. Now, Rebbe, somebody came over, she made the bets. And he goes, again, 10 years of marriage, first time. He said, this, this is what I did. And again, I had, I had been speaking on this, but he came over to me after the talk. He goes, I sat her down and I said, whatever her name is, I know I've been giving you a hard time about the bets. I know this and that, it's, it's my thing. You know what, you're great. And he, it was an, he said it was an honest, enthusiastic, genuine, five minutes of just praise of how great she is. And then an acknowledgement that he appreciates that he made the bed. And he goes, I just want you to know I appreciate it. I know every your heart says in that. It's my Mishagash. It's not the end of this and that, whatever. He goes, I want you to know we've now been married for 25 years, so 15 years since. She has never not once made the bed. Like, wow. I know it's a double negative, but yeah. That's all it took. People move forward from positivity. Our spouse moves forward from positivity. 
We think, okay, one second, please. We think sometimes from beating them up, we're going to get what we want. If we point out what they're doing wrong, we criticize, we rebuke, we, we, we make a perfectly great legal case as for why they should be doing X, Y, Z, that that's going to motivate them. It doesn't. Yes, sir, please. Does this work if they don't do something and then you still praise them? Or will they get more confident and do this later? For, for example, please. Um, wherever the beds are not being made, but you just say thank you for making the bed. Does it work? Will it work? You, 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 you mean pretending she made the bed? Uh huh. Being positive, anyways. Got it. Uh, what? What? He makes the bed. Have you guys met? <laughs> I have a shirt on. Okay, so you're asking a good, you're asking a good question, and it comes up often. The gentleman's asking, look, a very good question is, is um, what happens if she's if the person your spouse is simply just not doing whatever it is you want, right? Where is your window? Where is your space? To go ahead and to get praise. But first off, let's take a step back and do we do we accept the premise? Do we understand psychologically? And again, this is not chassis won't be manipulative at all. This is being just understanding human nature, recognizing that people, and this is through the lens of Chazal, people move forward forward from positivity. Beating our spouse up, telling them when they get it wrong, doesn't work. So when you have a case of something like this, I would say that more often than not, and we're gonna be talking uh, more in depth, but we can cover some of it now if you want, uh, uh, when we speak on Shabbos about this, because here you don't have a making of the bed issue, you have a relationship problem. Because if our, here there's anything, what would be the only reason that our spouse wouldn't do something that we want them to do? I mean, I mean think about it a second. The, your, your, your ziva, your, your, your partner in, in, in life, and in the next world for eternity, Good for some, not so good for others. <laughs> right? Why would we not want to give to them? Why would we not just, just be enthusiastic? Why would I not want to give to them? The only reason we hold back from our spouse is because we feel they're holding back from us. We have some perceived grievance, genuine or perceived injustice. It's not fair. I'm not giving to her because she's not doing this for me. We have this checklist, however, whatever layer, a level of, of awareness or consciousness we are of it, we have this cheshbon, this accounting, this list of, you know what, she does this, I do that. He does this, I do this. So I don't need to do this. Moreover, more unsettling is, listen to this, sometimes we need our spouse to do what we don't want them to do. Why? Because it gives us permission for us to treat them the way that we've been treating them. Meaning, if I have a narrative of how I need to see my spouse, she's the one that doesn't show me respect, the one that doesn't give me the help, that doesn't do this, this is my narrative, this is my story. So I need to connect the dots. Even if they do what I want, sometimes I'll see a different story. Moreover, I may even encourage the very opposite behavior that I'm, that I'm saying I want. How often do we see couples, not you, people who couldn't make it, right? They... they, they encourage the very opposite and cultivate the very opposite behavior of what it is they proclaim that they want because they want an unconscious uh, motivation for doing what it is they're doing. So you have here a relationship. If, 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 let me take a step back. Let me just answer your question and then encourage you to come to the, to the Shabbos talk. But it's like this. First off, you have to communicate to your spouse, yeah, how 
much it matters to you. See, we think sometimes that our spouse is like the amazing Kreskin. Anyone over 40 remembers him, right? They're not a mind reader. They can't read your mind. He or she does not know what's in your mind. So we think they know this is important to me and they know that I get upset if they don't do it. Not always. And if they know it's important to you, you might be surprised, you might be blown away if you sat your wife down. But imagine this, by the way. What if your spouse came to you and said, you know, such and such, you know, whatever it is, you leave the toothpaste cap off the toothpaste, you know, you leave out the mayonnaise, gambled away the money in Lang City, whatever it is. <laughs> what, what, what they don't always recognize is how much it bothers us. Do, don't, do you not think that your spouse might be surprised to know that some of the things that he or she does on a scale of one to 10 for you is a 10, and they're thinking, it's a one, a two. How could he get so bothered by this? So It doesn't matter. So I would say in a case like this, again, I'm becoming more in depth, in a case like this is you want to make sure that it's clear to your spouse what is what it is, the degree to which it bothers you, but more important, oftentimes when we bring something onto our spouse, is what we say than how we say it. Meaning, if you come into the conversation with you and you know, uh, uh, accusing your wife or your husband of doing something that you don't like, they're naturally gonna get defensive. It's, you make it about yourself, make it called I statements, it's a different conversation. I, I know it's not a big deal. You do this, you do this, blah, 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 blah. I'm having a hard time when blah, blah, blah happens. I know it's not your intention. They'll respond entirely different from, why do you always, as soon as you use the word you, you're done. I do a lot of work with corporations and, and organizations and in negotiation and mediation. If you want cooperation, you can't be accusatory. Because when you accuse the other person, it immediately puts them on the defensive. And then once their ego is engaged, it's all bets are off. So, so the, the, the long answer to your very good short question is if uh, I would say it's, it's more of a relationship you know, uh, issue that should be dealt with, but also in a kind, loving way, this is something that needs to be brought up. And the timing is important too. You know what? We, we, sometimes when something's on our mind, we bring it up to our spouse and it's on our mind that it marinates. And the minute they walk in the door, the minute we come home, we just unleash. Now, if you or your spouse are hungry, tired, or cranky, it's going to be an unproductive conversation time and again. You know how that goes. It's just, when you're in what we call a constricted consciousness, a fancy word for bad mood, right? You can't see from the other person's perspective. You simply can't. So, when neither of you are hungry, tired, cranky, you know, like Haley's comment every 72 years, you know, however it works out, you know, pick that spot, and that's when you sit down and you have a conversation. But I would suggest also like this, is that whatever... Um, you want to come close, whatever she's doing that comes close to what it is, that's when you would go ahead and celebrate it. So for example, sometimes this comes up when I, I talk on parenting. Person will say, you know what, little Chaim, if anyone here is named Chaim, I'm sorry, but uh, you know, little Chaim is always you know, pushing and biting his sister and doing all these things. I want to say, wow, little Chaim, it's great that you know, you're not biting and pushing your sister right now, but he's always doing something like that. So again, Lil Chaim could have a fork in his mouth and a, a, a cup. If, as long as he engages in something else, you say, by the way, you know, your sister just walked by and you sat there and you're eating like such a, like, and you reinforce the positivity. So whatever it is, your spouse, whatever comes closest to that, I would acknowledge it. And again, it's important to recognize this is not about being insincere. This is about being authentic and honest. And why this works so well is as follows. You're all listening to this, some married 
Yeah. And your spouse is going to do this. And you're still going to go, oh, Lieberman said this. But you still appreciate that they're saying it. You're not going to think, oh, they're trying to be. You appreciate when your spouse honestly and genuinely says something that's true and acknowledges your efforts. We're human beings. Yeah? Okay. Very good question. Any other questions before we go forward? Yes, please. I mean, for the, for the person, I'm glad it worked out that, like, for 15 years, no matter what was going on, his work said, like, they just found out they lost their jobs, they had to move, whatever. They moved in that day, you know, like, she made for that every day. But, like, I mean, on the other hand, what about giving her a little grace? She's a good mom. She generally keeps the, the house. Like, why is that even a thing? Like, you kind of wonder, like, are there... I mean, are they dealing with anything major? Did he ever deal with anything major growing up? That, like, right. This is a <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about that on the issue? Excellent. You're raising a great point. Make sure everyone heard the question. That is, look, you know, very nice that she made the bed, but you know what? He seems to be putting a lot of emphasis on something so small in a marriage and the scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Um, so why is he magnifying it and not simply not letting go? So you, you, you're 100% right. If he would have come to me, uh, you know, for counseling, with this issue, we would have had a much different conversation. And to the contrary, he wasn't even asking me for advice. He was sharing with me something that happened to work for him. But I encourage you to remember the following. To us, it's not a big deal. In the scheme of things, it's not a big deal. But guess what? 99.9% .9 of things that your spouse does is not a big deal. The very things that gnaw at you, bother you, get you frustrated, upset, <coughs> All, a lot revolves around covet, around respect, and about um, you know maybe uh, attention or affection or whatever it is, right? In the scheme of things, yeah, it doesn't matter, and yet it bothers us. So when something bothers us, if it bothers us to that degree, then it's going to be irrational. And when you have emotions and irrationality and rationality on the side, you could when we talk about difficult people, I know it's going to come up here. Um, <laughs> When you're dealing with somebody who's being irrational, right? Like this guy, let's say he's being irrational. A rational argument doesn't do anything because it's an infrastructure that's void of, he's not able to hear it. So there are plenty of things that may bother us and, uh, about our spouse and, and, and we do to our spouse that bothers them. We put the stuff that we do to our spouse that bothers them in the category of it's not the end of the world. But somehow, the stuff that bothers us ends up you know, being magnified. Yeah, but you're raising a, an excellent point for sure. Yes, please. The way that I think about it is that like, we have hukim, like Hashem wants us to do things that don't make sense. Right, So in that's the same way, Hashem asks us to do things that don't make sense because that's a way for us to show love to Him. It's like, it doesn't all have to make sense. So when we have a relationship with another human being and there are things that are important to them that aren't important to us, we have right. the ability to So give. making... The bed is a hoax. <laughs> it does look nicer when it's made. But it is. I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, no, you're raising your, of course, right? You're making a good point. That's right. It doesn't matter. There's, we don't have a single relationship with people where they want stuff and do things that make zero sense to us. I mean, it makes no sense. It just, it is so. Um, 
uh, it's uh, say unconscionable, right? It is, it's so mind-blowing to us, the things that our spouse sometimes can do that make no sense, but we also are guilty of that, and you're right. It doesn't have to, here's the thing. When you're in a relationship with somebody, it doesn't have to make sense to you. We, sometimes, you know what, when our spouse does something, you raise such a good point, it's, you know, we think if we present the reasonable, rational argument that um, they're going to come along to our point of view. Sometimes it is nothing to do with the reason. Sometimes your, your spouse is complaining about something. They don't even want an answer. There is no solution. Which brings us now, let's go, let's pivot now to the next idea, right? So first, just to be clear, when it comes to criticism, better rather than beat your spouse up when they get it right. And again, we're having an open, honest discussion as adults here. With a more authentic and honest relationship is with your spouse, and you can tell them, I know it's not a big deal in the scheme of things. You do this, you do this, you do this. It bothers me, but I want you to know, when you did that, when you talked about it, I really appreciate it. And again, not in a, hey, look who finally, but a real genuine, honest way. That's how we move forward from positivity. Now let's take uh, the, the flip side of this. When your spouse comes to you, maybe with a complaint, an issue, something that makes no sense whatsoever, they want you to maybe make the bed, take out the garbage, I don't know, do something that just makes no sense, um, or they have a time they have an issue, they complain about something you're doing, which naturally will make us defensive, right? So your spouse comes to you and says, why do you always blah, 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 it upsets me, right? And... Maybe they didn't bring it up in the right way, but now you're going to defend yourself. Again, if you, you have the temperament, the personality, the emotional health to recognize that your spouse is in pain and simply to listen, great. But if you're not there like I am, then you've got to work on it. <laughs> so, spouse comes to you and has a complaint, an issue. And we can take real life examples and you, we can walk through exactly how we respond. It's like this. And again, this is the second biggest friction point in any marriage. The mistake we make when our spouse comes to us with something that's on our mind is we shut them down before they're able to even get the words out. We don't empathize and validate. That is going, we're gonna flesh out exactly what that looks like and sounds like. Empathy and validation. They are the key to connection. There's a saying in sales, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. When your spouse comes to you with something that's on their mind or something that's been bothering them, that you've been doing, whatever it is, when you immediately just shut them down and say, Bob, not a big deal, this and that, you minimize, you justify even more, sometimes you blame them, yeah? So, I only did this because you did this. You do the exact, we do the exact opposite of fostering connection. Empathy is the first stage. Empathy is your pain is my pain. And empathy, by the way, is different from sympathy. Sympathy is, wow, stinks to be you. <laughs> I'm going to go back to my newspaper and breakfast and just try not to. <laughs> empathy fosters connection. Empathy is I'm in pain because you're in pain. Now, the number one rule of customer service is the number one rule in talking to our spouse when they're upset. And that is you never interrupt. Now, you also never say a couple of words. You never say, calm down. <laughs> when was the last time you were in an argument with somebody and they said, calm down, and you went, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I was thinking I should get more agitated because what's happening? I, I wrote a book called Never Get Angry Again. I'm going to save you $20 right now. The, the basis of, well, it's a paperback for $12.95. <laughs> that stuff out. The basis of anger is fear. 
So when our spouse becomes angry about something, really what the, what's driving it is a fear of not being in control. So when you tell somebody, tell your spouse to calm down, what you're doing is you're trying to take away their last vestige of control by telling them how to feel, which is why the conversation goes nowhere quickly. They'll say, don't tell me to calm down. The other thing you never want to tell anyone, by the way, you know, is, is don't worry. Uh, unless you're a dermatologist looking at a suspicious mold. <laughs> you know, the tough end is for us, you can get there. And well, actually, I'm, I, when, we deal, when we talk about maybe dealing with difficult people, when somebody is worried about something, maybe irrational, I'll show you how you deal with that. But, but, but there's a lot more to do before you tell someone not to worry how to feel. So when your spouse comes to you and they are... Um, they are upset or they're bothered or, or, or unsettled, whatever it is. Again, it could be just general anxiety about something. It could be, you know, with you specifically. You want to empathize. So, as we said before, the number one rule of customer service is the number one rule of speaking to our spouse. You never interrupt. But if empathy requires letting this person know that we understand our pain, their pain, how do we convey that without speaking? Say it again. Give them a hug. Give them a hug. Good. Maybe. Not bad. Okay. Sometimes good. Not a lot of men would, would come up with that answer, by the way. <laughs> right. One of the most effective things you want to make sure that your nonverbal is 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 in line with the emotional state. Meaning, if they're in pain, their pain has to be etched on your face. Which means then you cannot check your watch, you cannot have one eye on the game, even the big game. Um, you can't interrupt yourself for anything. Empathy means your pain is my pain, and certainly nodding is so very effective. I do work um, in a whole different branch. I work with law enforcement, interview and interrogation, and, and that kind of thing. And one of the things that I teach to interrogators is when you want a suspect, or your wife. Um, <laughs> hopefully they're not the same. <laughs> Sweetheart, good news and bad news. I'm going to play good husband. He's going to play. Um, is, uh, is, is you, you want to make sure that you, you never interrupt and you're nodding, which is very important. And here's something just by the way, it's not always applicable with Sean Bias, but you're talking to kids, you're talking to maybe an employee at work, whatever, or someone that's upset, maybe human resources, whatever you're talking, and they're upset, and you're nodding along, it's very important. When there's a pause in the conversation, our temptation is to jump in, because we're already rehearsing all the things we wanted to say. Hold that temptation, and give three quick nods like this, that gives sort of a subconscious permission to keep on talking. Because when somebody's talking to you, they're emoting how they're feeling. They're thinking, I don't know, you, have, you know how you got that narrative going in your head? I don't think they think I'm crazy or this and that. Is he really listening? What's going on? Whatever. And as soon as this person does this, all of a sudden, you find the floodgates just reopen again. And you can only learn when the other person's speaking. Certainly you can't get a confession when you're talking. So <laughs> when your spouse is talking, you want to be actively listening, nodding along, not in a creepy, you know, like bobble thing, like on the, you know, windshield of the Uber guy, you know, but like a real genuine nodding because you are listening genuinely and you are trying to imagine what it's like to be in their shoes. That's what empathy is. The extension of empathy is validation. And here's where people consistently drop the ball. Validation has nothing to do with right and wrong. 
Sometimes people say, I love the, the word enable is like a buzzword. I can't validate because I'll be enabling. Yeah. I can't validate because my spouse is crazy. I can't validate because I don't want them to think that they're saying something that makes sense. Bad plan. Validation simply means I understand, based on your perspective, why you're in pain. It makes sense to me why this is painful to you. Validation has nothing to do with right and wrong, nothing to do with true and false, nothing to do with the facts. Validation only means I understand why this is so upsetting for you. You know yourself how cathartic it is when your spouse says, I get why this is so upsetting for you. You'd be like, first, what did you do with my spouse? <laughs> but he, and, and I had a conversation with someone in my office just two days ago, lovely guy, but, and he asked an awful question, which was a tough one. He goes, let me ask you a question, Doc. Am I crazy? <laughs> now, what's the problem? <laughs> yeah. And he was recording it, which always I let people do because they want to hear it afterwards. But I'm thinking, how do I answer this? Anyway, um, lovely guy. Um, so validation, again, has nothing to do with the facts. It only lets a person know that you understand that they're in pain. Very often, we do the opposite. Our spouse comes to us, particularly when, it's, when they're putting us on the defensive. Or we think we're doing them the favor. This comes up a lot with kids, right? I'm anxious about this. I'm worried about that. It's not a big deal. Don't worry. So rather than empathize and validate, you see how we do the exact opposite. We disconnect, we invalidate, and sometimes even blame the other person. If you would have listened to me in the first place, you never would have been in this situation. Very nice. Oh, lovely. Right? Child comes to you and says, you know, I'm hungry. You can't be hungry. You just ate. Really? Okay, maybe it's bedtime, but, you know, I mean, how would you like to take a trip with your spouse? He's like, I need the rest stop. And they go, nope. <laughs> You're good for another 45 minutes or so. <laughs> I had a big gulp. 64 ounces. No human being needs that much fluid, by the way. I don't know. Anyway, um, right? You'd be like, hello. And there's only so much time. You know, someone asked me in a talk a couple days ago, um, over Shabbos, actually. It was, oh, there's a special Shabbaton of, 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 Girls who had just been through Gehenna and back, um, very special. We're talking about this val idea about validation because what do you do when somebody just can't open up and express themselves as an adult? Where does that come from? And I explained is when they were growing up, when they tried to say how they felt, forget about what they thought, how they felt, they were told, no, you're fine. It doesn't matter. It's like they were continuously shut down until at some point they realized, you know what, maybe I don't know how I think. Maybe uh, my feelings are not right. They're not. So when I transition to adulthood, how easy a time am I going to have to express myself knowing that I can't even trust how I feel? Now, before we blame our parents, everyone's quick to do that. You know, parents do the best that they can, but certainly as, as parents now, um, or at least we can understand how our parents messed up, us up, I guess, um, it, it's helpful to remind ourselves that, you know, when a child expresses themselves, it doesn't mean you have to have a two-hour conversation. It is important to... Empathize and validate. So I want to share with you, fascinating. There's an organization called From Divorce. That's not what's fascinating. It's fascinating about the following. It's, it's, it's an organization, I guess, self-described. They're from people who are divorced. I guess, you know, bad name, but descriptive. <laughs> so they have a Shabbaton twice a year, which I discuss to speak at. And I ask this question every time, and I predictably get the same answer. I say, it's, it's, it's a crowd, maybe four or 500 people, both men and women. 
I say, how many of you would still be married today to your spouse <laughs> if they just did this one thing? I'll tell you what that one thing is, but there's just one thing. Now again, he would, you need a candid shot? <laughs> he was still crazy. She still had all her issues. He was still this. Nothing went away, but your spouse simply just did this one thing. How many of you would still be married today? 75% of the hands always go up. What is this one thing? Listen to this. When something was on your mind that was bothering you, and you went to your spouse and told them about it, and they genuinely, honestly, authentically empathized with how you felt. They heard you. They validated where you were coming from. And get this, still didn't do what you wanted. We think we argue over where you know the kids sit for Shabbos, whether to rent or lease a minivan. By the way, in Lakewood it's easy. You've got two choices. It's either a beige Toyota Sienna, or a beige Honda Odyssey. Those are your two choices. I think our, our Asian American friends had a lot of fun with us. I get into the car the other day and I do the beep beep. It's, no one likes the car, it's not Brooklyn, but again, this is. Again, and it's, it's my wife's minivan, and the kid starts screaming, and then I realize he's screaming because his yarmulke says Yaakov, and I don't have a Yaakov. And I'm like, ah! He goes, ah! ah! Sorry, but they all look the same. They all got Cheerios and like a happy and this and this. I don't know. I'll say it for my therapist. No reason to go into it with you. Isn't that amazing? Three quarters of the people consistently say, yeah, I'd still be married to this person. Same stuff. But they were able to do the following. Amazing. So, listen to this study, and then I'll. Well, I guess I want to leave some time for some questions, and then um, we've got Mitzvah Shem, like a whole nice Shabbos. We're going to be talking, just a little preview, talking about uh, another talk on Shalom Bias, which goes into some other really, I think, important areas. We talk about Chinuch uh, on parenting. We're going to be speaking about how to deal with difficult people. Yes, even those people who are like really completely, whatever, how to like have, like, you know, even though we're related to them, even though they come in and through our lives, how to optimize those relationships. I think we'll be talking about, um, about infusing our lives with greater joy and, and simcha and gratitude and a lot of good things. I don't leave anything out, but um, I hope I have the, uh, the privilege to be able to, to share that with you. Um, listen to this study. They did a study of 2,500 indigent people. Um, this is done in Canada, who are public defenders. Uh, and they, for, on how fair they felt the legal system was. Now, these are people who received um, punishments that range from probation to 20 years to life. How fair they felt the legal system was had zero to do with the sentence that they received. And they were blown away by this. They would assume people who had a lighter sentence said, yeah, the legal system's fair. People who had a harsher sentence, they'd say, this system's not fair at all. Yeah? It turned out that it had nothing to do with that. How fair they felt the legal system was hinged only on one thing how much time their public defenders spent with them. We don't argue over these things. We argue over our right to be acknowledged, to be heard, to be validated. Ultimately, that is what we want. And if you're not in the headspace, by the way, this comes up a lot. People say, okay, my spouse wants to talk about this. I just can't deal with blah, blah, blah. Yeah? Is it, tell me if anyone here would object to your spouse turning to you and saying, 
I see how important this is to you. I just can't give this the, you know, I don't have the, uh, the emotional bandwidth. I'm just drained, tired, whatever it is. I want to give this the attention it deserves. Would it be okay if we spoke about this after dinner? Is anyone here who would say, no, we're going to have this conversation right now? You'd be like, thank you. I appreciate it. And then you set up a time. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? This is something that's on my mind. Is, you know, talk about it now, but also be mindful of the, your spot when you, when, you, when you want to bring it up. And is this other spouse hearing this, if you don't have, you know, the, the, the oomph and energy to give it, much the same way as Chazal put, you know, fences around halacha, you could put fences around yourself when you're not in that space. Say, you know what? I don't think I can have this conversation in the way that's going to be most productive. I just, you know, my head's here, this and that, or I'm just zonked. I love you. You're amazing. I just, would it be okay if we just spoke about this then? And by the way, some people are better speaking other people writing, sometimes you'd be surprised. You know, you, you ask your spouse, you know what, when something is on my mind, how do you want me to bring it up? And there's nothing wrong with asking your spouse, when I have to bring up something that may be a sore spot, do you want me to send you a text? Do you want me to put in the refrigerator? Do you want me to, you know, get a skywriter? I don't know. Or, and you'd be surprised. Some people are surprised. Like, you know, one guy said, he goes, you know, I, I never knew. My wife said to me, when it comes to Chenef, she gets a little sensitive. He goes, I had zero idea. She goes, I can hear anything, but when you tell me I messed up with the kids, whatever, whatever, he goes, just do me a favor, just write it, write it down so I can look at it. It's that face-to-face that you shared. So, uh, uh, again, right, wrong, and different, it's irrelevant. There's no right or wrong. This was something that was difficult for her to discuss, so she asked for the mode of communication she wanted. And two, with her spouse, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I'm going to bring something up now. Really, I just want you to hear me. There is no solution. Now, I know sometimes us guys, we like to jump in and solve the problem, but we short circuit the opportunity for our spouse to explain what it is that's on their mind. Sometimes there's no solution. Obviously, the other way around also, we just want to talk. You can say, you know what? There's no answer here. I just want to just vent. In which case, okay. But even if your spouse is asking for something, it's so important to make sure that that conversation is one-sided to begin with. You are simply establishing a connection, letting your spouse know that you get it, you understand their pain. Then the only reason you have to say no or disagree is not because you don't K-N-O-W, not because you don't know enough. Because if they understand that you understand their pain, yeah, then the only reason that you're going to not want to do it is because you see it differently, which is okay. Okay. There's lots more to unpack with that, but what are your questions for now, please? Yes, sir. Um, about to hear your opinion on um, whether or not to go to, uh, to sleep angry at your spouse. What? I hear different answers all the time, but I'd love to hear yours. Great. He wants to know where he can buy my books and tapes. <laughs> you know, they say people hear what they want to hear. I don't know. Um, no. His very good question is, you know, what is your opinion on going to bed angry with your spouse? And he's heard different things. I guess it's pretty binary, yes or no, right? Yeah. How many people think that it's, you know, it, it's, it's a very bad idea to ever go uh, to bed angry with your spouse? We would never sleep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. 
Well, you just deadpan that one. Okay. <laughs> All right. So she, she would never, never sleep. Okay. Um, very practical. I like, I like you guys. Okay. And how many people think that it would be fine to go to bed um, angry? Okay, going to bed angry has it. Yeah, so I, I, I would tend to agree. Look, in an ideal world, it would be good because what happens is this. When it manifests and it, and, it, and it grows, you know, that's a problem. But here's the general protocol. If something is bothering, bothering us, I really encourage um, a spouse to give it a little bit of time because that's really what perspective is. When something happens immediately, our ego gets engaged, the ego blocks perspective, we can't see clearly. So we're not able to put it, like a small child, whatever happens in the moment, that's the big deal. So something happens and it, it, it gets us upset, that conversation is not going to be productive. I encourage you to put time, even if it requires you to go to bed, let's say unsettled, a little bit bothered. Um, and sometimes you wake up in the morning and you realize, oh, okay, it's not the end of the world. And so meanwhile, you would have brought something up at a time when both of you are tired, both of you, it's just not productive. I'm a big proponent of doing what makes sense. So if it's not working, don't do it. So generally, um, if you don't have the headspace and you're bothered by it and you don't have that, you have that immediacy, it's not going to be productive. Put some space and then as we said before, you bring it up at a time when you can both hear it, you bring it up gently, kindly, not accusatory, so on, paging mommy. Um, and, um, and again, if, if you're able to have the conversation, you know, there's no reason not to, but I wouldn't create this artificial uh, demand that no one can go to bed if you're upset because there's this a young lady aptly points out some people would never get to sleep. Okay, next question. Yeah, good. All right. Yes, please. Hi, Matt Needleman, huge fan. Um, any guidelines around, like, the kids are around a lot. A lot. And then, <laughs> all the time almost. And then when they're not, so then we have a thing at night like this. And then we get home after the thing at night, whether it's whatever shul or some of that. And it's like really, it's, we're tired so to talk about something. It's like, it's hard. So right. I think what ends up happening sometimes is we discuss things like when the kids are around. Yeah. So, um, bad, bad, bad. Don't do that. Bad daddy. Yeah. Right, right? <laughs> bad, bad daddy. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Okay, see, bad Santa, but wrong crap. Um, yeah, bad. bad. Uh, again, we're human beings, and, and sometimes you know we're not always going to get it right. But as a general rule, there are certain things that are very important for our children. One of them is is calm. Is a house that's not chaotic. A house where mom and dad is on the same page. I'm, I'm sorry. That's my. We're not fighting. Okay. They're just sitting. You're not fighting. Part. They're just sitting apart. We never fight. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're saying, like, talking about, like, important things. Oh, oh okay. Again, if it's, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. If it's age appropriate, be, be careful. Sometimes, you know, kids think that the house is a democracy. You know what? It's just like, okay, where are we going now? This okay, really? I was like, so if it's age appropriate and something that, you know, is okay for them, there's nothing wrong with, I, I'm actually a proponent of, of spouses talking about things and they can you're modeling for them what to do when you see it from a different perspective and say this if you're able to have that conversation like two mentions and your kids hear it fantastic again just be mindful that it should be age and also emotionally you know some kids can't hear certain conversations mm -hmm. others can be younger and can hear them not just age appropriate like you know the emotional maturity has to be there as well um, but just to go to what I thought you had indicated